the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. African fiat currencies have, barring a few notable exceptions, been steamrolled in the last two years. For proof of that, you need look no further than the rand, down more than a quarter against the US dollar over two years. And interesting to note that in Bitcoin terms, the rand depreciated 24% over the last two years. And that's about the same rate of depreciation of the rand against the dollar. Or expressed another way, the price of Bitcoin has jumped 24% in the last two years in rand terms. But when it comes to other African currencies, the picture is not much better. The Nigerian Naira and the Ghanaian CD are down nearly half against the US dollar in two years, and the Kenyan shilling lost 26% over that same period against the dollar. It was a far better story for the Ugandan and Tanzanian shillings, which lost a more respectable 7% against the dollar over the same two years. None of this has gone unnoticed in these countries and explains the extraordinary rise of stable coins as a quick and easy way for citizens in Africa to get their hands on US dollar-backed stable coins. Getting access to fiat dollars is less easy as central banks maintain a tight grip on these precious dollars. Today, we're looking at the rise of stable coins in Africa. And to help us understand this better, we're joined by John Ovadia, founder and CEO of Ovex, which offers a range of stablecoin pairs to its clients across Africa and the Middle East. Hi, John. Welcome back. We haven't spoken to you for a while, but um, can you give us a brief explanation why the Nigerian Naira and the Ghanaian CD lost nearly half of their value in the last two years? I mean, that's a huge blow to the people living in those countries. Hi, Kieran. It's great, uh, great to be back. Yeah, African African currencies have really had a tough time against the dollar in, in not just the last few years, but if you look at pretty much any African currency against the dollar of the last ten years, every single one is essentially up and to the right um, against the dollar. Just just a steady decline, which is really really tough for these local countries. The last two years, there's been a massive dollar shortage globally. It hasn't just been Africa. Nigeria and Ghana were, were heavily hit. Uh, Nigeria, for its own reasons, they had a uh, they had an election, they had a new government. The previous central bank governor was actually arrested, and the new central bank governor is making a lot of very big changes. Nigeria, for example, used to be pegged at about four twelve to the dollar, the official rate, even though there was no liquidity at that. The new governor has um, has floated that rate, so now it's floating around somewhere around nine hundred, the official rate, where it was at four hundred. So it's Massive, massive decline, but I think a very good step for the country. Additionally, they just uh, removed exchange controls in Nigeria, which is a very interesting uh, turn of events. And they also introduced a cryptocurrency license, which means that they're steering more towards joining the global financial system rather than trying to control their currency. So Nigeria is going through a lot of fundamental changes, and uh, we yet to see how that's going to work out for them. But that's the main reason for the, for the massive uh, devaluation there. Ghana, another story, they defaulted pretty much on their debt. Um, and yeah, that caused a massive, massive flight away from the from the CD. Although it seems to have uh, strengthened a bit more than was well, strengthened a bit recently. And yeah, pretty much those are the those are the big uh, the big events in those two countries. It's really the people locally are suffering quite significantly there. Yeah, and, and Nigeria, just in the last week, you mentioned there's been this change of governor at the central bank. They have just uh, 
redefined how they calculate this exchange rate. So you always had a a, a parallel market for the for the naira, and this new way that they calculated the the naira actually lost thirty percent in a week. Which brings it closer towards the, the parallel market or the black market rates. The question is, though, if they have done this, is there enough liquidity if they've removed exchange controls? Is there enough liquidity to satisfy the demand within the country? Yeah, Nigeria should. I mean, you see, they got a very strong oil production, which is obviously priced in dollars and should provide a lot of dollars. So I think historically it's been corruption that's uh, led to the shortage of dollars and the exchange control or exchange foreign exchange problems in Nigeria. Um, countries that have large exports and large natural resources generally are able to um, obtain dollars enough to support their currency, whereas Nigeria, they weren't able to, but I do think that that was the result of corruption. They were, were pegging it to 410, 412, and no one could ever buy dollars at 412 except for very, very few people who were buying it at 412 uh, through the exchange, through the um through the central bank and selling on the black market for double uh, almost immediately. I mean, that's the best arbitrage you could you could possibly have. And I think these were reserved only for very, very few elites in Nigeria. And I really think that's why they had that system. You saw when the new president came in, the old central bank governor was actually arrested and he's now sitting in jail. So I'm sure there was some, some serious corruption uh, happening there. I do think a free market won't be a problem. I think it'll be very good for, for the Nara and for Nigeria in general. Um, it does need to find its feet. It needs to find what, what price it will settle at. We're not sure what that will be. It probably won't be where it is now. It'll probably got some more devaluation in store so people aren't used to a, a free-floating Nigerian currency. So uh, we need to just see what happens. But I do think generally over the long term it's going to be, it's going to be a positive for Nigeria. Now, OVEX has expanded into uh, several African countries, and I guess that's in part because there's demand for these stable coins, particularly U.S. dollar-backed stable coins like Tether, USDC, and DAI, DAI spelled D-A-I. Are residents in Nigeria and Ghana able to buy these stable coins without breaking local laws? Yeah, so they can. So both Nigeria and Ghana are cryptos fully I guess, unregulated. It's not illegal or banned in either market. Nigeria did have a central bank ban on financial institutions, mainly banks, um, on banks essentially servicing cryptocurrency companies. So that's what Nigeria did. They didn't ban cryptocurrency, and cryptocurrency companies were allowed to operate, and people were allowed to buy and sell cryptocurrencies, but the banks were not allowed to open up a bank for cryptocurrencies. Luno had a bank account frozen there with a few hundred million dollars. But it wasn't frozen or confiscated or anything. It was just the banks were told to essentially de-risk uh, off-board these large crypto institutions. So in Nigeria, that was the case. Um, they've since lifted the ban. And like I said earlier this year, they actually released um, a cryptocurrency exchange license, which is very, very exciting um, in Nigeria. So Nigeria is definitely going in the right direction. Ghana, it's never been illegal. There's ne- neither has there been a ban um, of any sort in Ghana. Although the central bank and the banks aren't super excited about crypto um, or haven't been in the past, but it's completely legal to trade crypto in those markets. Now, I guess South Africans should also be taking a hard look at the state of the rand. I mean, when you think about it, if the rand has dropped by a quarter against the dollar in the last two years, what does that mean for inflation and what does that mean for the value of investments? Uh, does make it harder to save, to invest, and to stay ahead of inflation. Are South Africans waking up to the possibilities of stablecoins? Yeah, for sure. I mean, South Africa, there's a strong, strong demand for cryptocurrency and stablecoins in particular. 
it's quite tough here for South Africans. Like you say, the rand devalues. It's it's really terrible, and it makes it does really puts a lot of pressure on South Africans. South Africans traveling abroad, it's very difficult. I mean, you go to the UK and you're paying a thousand rand for some scrambled eggs. Um, when South Africa, you're paying like a hundred rand, two hundred rand. It's it's unaffordable for South Africans to travel, and it's it's obviously just getting worse and worse. We are lucky. Uh, in the sense that a lot of our stuff here is produced locally. So we've got a very, very strong local um, production, strong agriculture, uh, very strong beef industry. So a lot of stuff here is is priced reasonably. We can afford it and isn't suffering so much from such extreme inflation as we would if we relied heavily on imports. Um, but things that are imported are certainly getting incredibly expensive. Uh, salmon, for example, is incredibly expensive. And obviously goods and Services that are imported are, are going up significantly. Like fuel, travel has become more affordable for South Africans. Petrol, exactly, yeah. absolutely. And in your experience in Africa, are you finding a considerable uptake of people demanding these stable coins? And then once they do, if you're able to sell it to them, can they use those stable coins to purchase things abroad? You know, if they want to import something from China or they want to go on a holiday, can they use those stable coins abroad? Yeah, so at the moment, not. So South Africans can purchase stable coins using their foreign allowance. So their million rand, and they can then get a tax clearance and extend that to 10 million rand. So through us, they're able to do that, um, able to do the foreign exchange and buy the stable coins that way. So using their allowance, and then they can do whatever they wish with it. There are suppliers in China that will accept stable coins, and it's increasing every day. And the adoption of stable coins as a means of payment is is really, really starting to take off, um, especially in, in China and uh, some areas of the Middle East. So that's very exciting for, for the use of crypto. Um, but South Africans are able to do that. And then if they buy the stable coins that way, they can also yeah, buy things overseas with it. The many websites are starting to accept cryptocurrency, and that's all right. However, if South Africans are buying it locally with South African rands, their stable coins, they... They need to check with uh, with their tax specialist or exchange control specialist, but they're not really meant to exchange that overseas. That should stay within South Africa's borders. Uh, but it's a very nice hedge against the rand, and that's easily accessible. All right, we're going to come back to that and how this can be used as a hedge against uh, rand depreciation. But just go through some of the use cases for stable coins for companies operating in Africa. Can they use these stable coins for for? trade. I think you've already discounted that. They can't. But can they use it for holding reserves? And Outside of South Africa, they definitely can and they are. So stablecoins are getting heavily adopted in Africa as a means of cross-border payments. So South Africa has got the, probably the strictest exchange controls in Africa. Many African countries have no exchange controls or very, uh, very lenient exchange controls. Those countries, stablecoins are an order of magnitude better than um, a traditional bank wire. For example, you're an importer in Senegal um, importing, let's say, clothing from China. You want to go make a payment through the bank to your supplier. One, it's going to take you about two weeks to make the payment. Two, it's going to cost you 2 to 3%, which isn't cheap. Three, you're going to be asked multiple, multiple uh, questions along the process. So as you make the payment, you're going to have to provide an extensive pack of information. And then along the process, every few days or so, you could get additional questions. And then lastly, and this is really the biggest problem, is any time within that period, that two-week period, your payment could easily fail, get rejected by the corresponding bank, an intermediary bank, the, um, the final bank where it's going, you return, you, the funds are returned and converted back to local currency at another 2 or 3%. So you could lose up to 6% and still not have your payment made. Doing it by a stable coin, it's instant. You go, you buy the stable coin. Within a matter of minutes, you have the stable coin. You transfer it to your supplier and the transaction's finished with no risk of... Um, 
of, of return of, of the funds, no risk of exchange rate fluctuation, no risk of additional questions, and all of that. So it really is an order of magnitude better. This is going three weeks where you could lose 6%, to, or two weeks where you could lose 6% to instantly where there's no risk of losing anything. So this is the difference between essentially an email and, um, and traditional post. Uh, it's really that big of a difference. A, an international payment for, for an African, especially other parts in the world, they have very... Well, a lot more efficient, still not as good as um, as as a crypto payment, but far more efficient than Africa. But Africa, especially, it's significantly, significantly better to make an international payment via stablecoin than via the traditional rails, which mostly is SWIFT these days. Now, you look at MicroStrategy. Michael Saylor is the CEO, was the CEO of MicroStrategy, which is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. He uses all his cash. He's one of the biggest evangelists for for Bitcoin. All of his cash goes into Bitcoin because he believes that that is going to be the money of the future. Uh, and that, so if you want to buy a proxy for Bitcoin, you can invest in MicroStrategy. But are you finding companies in Africa doing a similar thing, holding their reserves, not necessarily in Bitcoin, but in stable coins to protect against this devaluation that we've been talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So there is a, there is a lot of that. Um, so companies holding their treasury in stable coins and sometimes even Bitcoin, although I personally wouldn't suggest holding your entire treasury in Bitcoin just because of the volatility. You don't know. I think over the long term, it's a safe bet it's going to go up, but you don't know when you're going to need that um, that money. So stablecoins, absolutely, it's a fantastic way for companies to store their their treasury. Um, it's instantly liquid. It's a liquid anywhere in the world. And uh, the most important thing is it's very easy for companies in Africa to open a stablecoin wallet. It requires no KYC. It requires nothing. I mean, it's a matter of downloading the wallet and clicking open. You already All of a sudden, you have a U.S. dollar bank account. Um, before that, African companies were completely, completely in the dark, were unable to access dollar banking. Even today, we see most African cryptocurrency businesses struggling significantly to get dollar banking. And these are businesses that are very well capitalized and spending probably millions of dollars a year um, on maintaining dollar bank accounts uh, and still struggling. Whereas if you're a mom and pop shop doing $100,000 a year in total revenue, you don't have a chance to, to open a dollar bank account. It's just the facility is just not available to you as a as an African business person or a person doing business in Africa. Uh, cryptocurrency is completely and stablecoins has completely revolutionized that where it takes two seconds, no questions asked, open the wallet, can't be blocked, can't be um, can't be stopped, and more importantly, depends on what stablecoin you hold. But if you're holding, let's say USDC, you have your treasury managed by BlackRock, one of the biggest asset managers in the world, which an African, again, someone a small business in Africa would never have access to traditionally. So it's it's really really revolutionary um, in the in the sense that it's opening up opportunities for people in Africa to financial services that were completely out of reach before. I mean, I guess that explains why of the top twenty cryptos by market cap, three of them are U.S. dollar backed stablecoins, and that's Tether, USDC, and Dai. Now, the initial use case for stablecoins was to allow crypto traders to park their profits after a big run-up in Bitcoin, for example. They could switch out of that in, into a U.S. dollar stablecoin. The question then arises, are these really stable, these stablecoins, in the sense that are they backed by U.S. dollars in the way that they claim? Yeah, so I, I do think they are. I mean, they're all very different. Each stablecoin of those top three you mentioned has had a point in time where they have depegged Tether has depegged quite a few times, dropping, I don't know, as high as, I think it's about 10% from uh, from peg at one point. DAI, same thing happened at some point. And USDC recently, last year, when um, Silicon Valley Bank went bust to hold about $4 billion of their reserves, 
de-pegged also quite heavily. Um, so each of these stablecoins have de-pegged in the past. USDC uh, is very transparent. You can see exactly where their assets are held. They managed by, like I said, BlackRock, one of the biggest um, asset managers in the world. I mean, a multi-trillion-dollar asset manager, really, really large. Uh, additionally, the cash reserves are held at all very large banks. Although we've seen very large banks can, in fact, fail and do fail, but are often um, backstopped by, especially U.S. banks, are backstopped by the Federal Reserve, like we saw with Silicon Valley Bank. So I would say USDC is probably the most safe, very transparent as to what they're doing with the money. These markets are also very, very lucrative for stablecoins. I mean, with 5 6% interest rates, these companies are printing money. Tether, uh, for example, Tether has about a $100 billion market cap. Tether made more money last quarter than Goldman Sachs. So that's another reason to believe that they are probably quite safe and sound. They're throwing off massive amounts of profit. Tether made more money than Goldman Sachs with 50 employees. So you can just imagine the uh, the amount of profit that they're that they're making. Um, they're not as transparent. You don't really know where the funds are held, but they are now audited by not a top uh, five firm, but by some reputable accounting firm. Dai, on the other hand, is all decentralized, uh, on chain, backed by. Uh, it depends. There's different types of collateral. A lot of it's backed by USDC. Also, I would say probably quite safe, but the safest would be USDC for sure. Right. And when you say they de-pegged, that means that they lost their pegging one-to-one with the dollar. They temporarily went down, but they did regain that peg uh, fairly quickly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all of them have regained fairly quickly. We at OVEX, we, we have a market maker um, as part of one of our group companies, and we traded those OBS significantly, meaning we were buying uh, we we're buying the stable coins, every all three of them, each time they de-pegged. We're buying significant amounts. Um, so this is all done just on our own balance sheet. Um, but we're buying yeah, significant amounts of those stable coins from the open market at a discount and redeeming them with the issuer. Uh, we have very good relationships with uh, with actually all three. Um, Dai obviously is a bit different. That's all done on chain, but we do know we do know the people there. But Tether and USDC, we work very closely with uh, with them. All right, tell us what's going on at OVEX over the last year. You're spending quite a bit of time overseas. There's uh, new licenses happening. There's new offices opening. What's happening? Yeah, so it's been a very exciting time at OVEX. So probably about two years ago, I think we reached what I think is was at the time, kind of a plateau in South Africa. Pretty much South Africa reached critical mass. We're doing, at the time, it was close to $600 million a month of volume in South Africa alone, which was significant, significant um, volume. It didn't see the market growing too much, although I do think now with regulation coming, South Africa market is going to go through a massive growth. Uh, we're going to see all the big institutions getting on board. We're going to see the banks. We're going to see a large asset managers, and it's a very exciting time in South Africa now. But two years ago, it was pretty much saturated, and, uh, and we were pretty much as big as I thought we were going to get, doing about $600 million a month in South Africa. So we grew out, uh, started expanding across Africa. And um, like I said, in Africa, we saw a lot of demand for cross-border payments in crypto simply because it just makes so much sense. It's literally the difference between sending an email and sending a postcard. The one's instant, free, guaranteed, um, and so on. The other one's slow, can easily fail, expensive. No good. It's literally that big of a of a step. So we saw massive demand for that in Africa, and we started pursuing that quite aggressively. Um, we obtained licenses in many different markets. About to get one in Botswana. We got a license in the UK, France, um, Australia, uh, Nigeria. We're busy applying now that the licenses come out. South Africa. We've got multiple licenses. Um, 
right about now the crypto licenses is coming out which is super exciting um and and so on yes yeah, i mentioned france for the francophone african markets and what so about what we're the, building in Af- the middle east uh, middle east sorry of course yeah, dubai we've been set up there for quite a long time uh we were one of the first companies to get the license in in um in the dmcc and now they've launched the virtual um, asset regulatory authority where we have a license as well so that's also a very exciting market, and there's a lot of flow between Africa and the Middle East, a lot of flow between Africa and Europe, a lot of flow between Africa and the UK, and that's why we licensed in Dubai, the UK, and France, um, to facilitate the movement of money between Africa and these markets. And uh, what we saw, so like I said, we saw a lot of uh, use of crypto for cross-border payments rails. So this year, we're going to be launching a fintech product, which is a cryptocurrency um, not a cryptocurrency, sorry, it's a cross-border payments company, purely traditional fiat-to-fiat, say Naira to pound, Euro to, I don't know, Central African franc, that type of transaction, um, on the back end, leveraging crypto liquidity um, and giving you that same crypto experience where it's instant, it's, it's essentially free, no chance of failure, and so on. We're able to offer that through a traditional um, user experience for users, and that we're going to be launching its own company, separate brand uh, in the next few uh, months. Now, final question. Bitcoin halving is coming up in a few months, and this has historically been associated with a rise in the Bitcoin price. Are you seeing people getting into Bitcoin in anticipation of this on the OVEX exchange? Yeah, we have. I mean, there's been a lot of exciting news in crypto over the last few months. Obviously, we just got the ETF, uh, which the crypto community has been waiting for years for. Um, it's a big ETF. That's a big nod of approval from the SEC in the United States. Huge milestone for crypto. So that alone has been causing a lot of attention. The next thing to happen is the halving. Always in the last, I don't know, four or five halvings, you've seen a massive increase in Bitcoin. Essentially, the miners, the miner rewards halve. Um, and essentially, the miners have to sell pretty much 90% of these rewards that they that they get for mining crypto. Um, in order to fund their operations. So that's a massive reduction in sell pressure that uh, that we're going to see. So that's very, very exciting. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of also macro trends occurring in, in the world um, that I think also could be wind in the sales of crypto and Bitcoin, which we look like, it looks like stable, like um, the interest rates are starting to stabilize. Uh, potentially, we might get some rate cuts at the end of the year or early next year. All of these things are very, very bullish for, for crypto, uh, essential, essentially a risk asset. Um, and yeah, I think we could be looking at the start of another bull cycle in crypto. John Ovadia, CEO of Ovix. Thanks very much for joining us, John. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.